Before we read today's passage of Scripture, I wanted to bring something to your attention. Two things. We have been collecting monies over the last few months for Bibles that we purchased for the rescue mission. We prayed for those last week. You all remember that? And uh, we delivered those to the rescue mission last week. Those are beautiful Bibles, and they are so thankful. And they were so beautiful. I think there's a, a plea from some in the church that we need some for ourselves here. We're going to look into probably purchasing a case of those just to put out here for people to use. But the other thing is that we have been collecting monies for another mission project uh, on Wednesday nights primarily. The ladies Bible group and the Wednesday Yeah. The ladies Bible group and then the Wednesday night kids. Come on in, folks. The ladies Bible group that meets once a month and then the Wednesday night kids ministries, they have been collecting pennies and nickels and coins uh, and different, and do, okay, hey, we had dollars over here, amen? Anyway, uh, the monies were being collected to help uh, build a house for anyone in the third world countries that Baptist Global Missions uh, helps support. Baptist Global Missions is an arm of the International Mission Board, and they go and do those practical ministries around the world, and uh, they can build a house in some areas for around $500. Now, it's a simple house, but... Uh, between the children and the ladies, they have raised $326 for a house. So that's over two-thirds of the way right there. Uh, so we just need a little bit more to get to that 500 mark, and then we'll, we'll pray over that and send that off to the Baptist Global Missions. And um, it's awesome. You know, we, we do good missions around the world. Amen. Amen. If you will stand with me today, we'll be reading out of Proverbs chapter 8. This is our sermon text today. If you're able to stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 8. And we'll be reading verses 1 through 11. The pastor just loves hearing pages rustle. That's a wonderful, beautiful thing. Proverbs chapter 8. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud, To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Father God, we do praise you for your word, and we thank you for this journey through the book of Proverbs last month and now into this month. And I pray, God, that as as we as your people strive to serve you well, there are those practical things of everyday living where we need wisdom. Your word gives us direction in how to be your children, and that is by submission to your your son Jesus Christ as our Lord. He saves us through his sacrificial blood. 
And for that, Lord, we give you praise. For God, this fallen world we live in is full of temptation. This fallen world we live in is confusing. And that which is truly beautiful of you is lost in the chaos of this world. And so, God, I pray that you would teach us through your word this morning what it means to follow wisdom. Not our wisdom, but yours. Show us, dear God, what it is that we need to hear today. Let this time be where you speak boldly and we hear intently. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. We've got several married couples in this room. I want you to ponder and go back to whenever you were wooing each other. I don't know why. I mean, every couple has a different story, but I'll tell you this. Rhonda wooed me with her meatloaf. A few other things. Well, I think it was the meatloaf that sealed the deal. But think about it. When, when, when two people are attracted to one another, there is this, there's something that attracts us to each other. Now, the language here in the book of Proverbs up until this point has been Solomon writing to his son, especially uh, chapters 4 up to chapter 8 here. And Solomon is writing wisdom to his son. He's, it's like a fatherly advice, fatherly wisdom being portrayed to his son. And what we see in chapters 4 up through 8 is practical warnings and, and wise instruction, an attempt to to show contrast between the path of destruction and the path of righteousness, where the path of destruction is very attractive and alluring, but at best it is a mimic or an attempted mimic of what is righteous and godly. Now we come to chapter 8. And Solomon's wisdom here is, is spoken of in the imagery of a woman. Now this is continuing the imagery that he begins um, in, in previous chapters where he is warning his son against the adulterous woman. Now, what he's talking about here is primarily the attractiveness of the world. The allure of that which seems beautiful and, and, and appealing, yet once you come into its presence, it's destructive. Now in chapter 8... Solomon is now transferring his wisdom here to his son and showing him exactly what he should be following. And we're going to be in chapter 8 of the book of Proverbs throughout the rest of September. We're going to stay right here in this one chapter for the rest of the month. There is so much wisdom here in this one chapter that I think if, if we pay it close enough attention, we'll not only understand the righteous living that is expected of us as God's people, I think we'll also see a very clear direction that Jesus is the wisdom that is being spoken of here. Christ is all throughout the scriptures, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Even in the book of Proverbs, we can see imagery of Christ. And, I, and, and as I was thinking and praying through this chapter over the last week or two, I mean, Christ just screams loudly in these words. And it's so obvious what is being taught here. So let's look here at Proverbs chapter 8 and see what wisdom we can glean. Does not wisdom call 
Does not understanding raise her voice? Right there in verse 1, we see the continual imagery of, of the female here. Except in chapter 8, now it's, the imagery of the female is now contrasted in chapter 7 with the adulteress. And now in chapter 8, the woman that is rightfully the one to pursue. Right? As, as we're giving counsel to young people, especially young men. We want to encourage them to seek after a good woman, right? Can all the husbands in this room say amen? Now, what we're talking about here is the imagery of wisdom. Wisdom here in the book of Proverbs is, is symbolized by the woman because there is something attractive in the female. There is something that is alluring in the female. And wisdom here is, in this context in chapter 8, this wisdom tied to a female voice is clearly tied to, this, to the right attraction of God himself to us. Not that God is female. Don't get that confused. That's not what this passage is saying. God reveals himself in the, in the male gender. That's a different story, different sermon. That's not what's being taught here. But we can clearly see that the idea of wisdom is seen as in, in the feminine, partly because the Hebrew word for wisdom is in the, feminine, in the feminine case, when you look at grammar. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud. Now, these first three verses kind of helps us see the context here. Ladies, is there not something in your, in your being as a woman that you desire to be noticed? Is that correct? Men don't really want to be noticed. We've we, we got, we got enough boisterousness about us and rambunctiousness to be noticed. We don't really desire it, but we are. But is that not part of the female Mentality, to be noticed, to be seen as someone beautiful, as attractive, yeah? That's what's happening here in verses 1 through 3. The right wisdom, the righteous wisdom, is somehow in competition with all of the other imageries in chapters 4 through 7 of the worldly wisdom that is trying to grab our attention. We are in a busy world, aren't we? There's a lot that is out there trying to get our attention. There, think, just look in our media-saturated culture alone. How many different television shows, not TV anymore, now it's Netflix and streaming services. How many different streaming services are now on the, on the docket? They're all screaming and clamoring for our attention. Retail is at an all-time high of struggle for customers. We have to scream and do whatever we can to get attention for ourselves in order to be noticed. Is that the world we live in? Not just in retail, not just in entertainment, not in different facets of culture, but even in the political realm and everything else, there is so much out there that is competing to be noticed. That's what's happening here in the beginning of chapter 8. Wisdom that is righteous and true and worthy of following is acknowledging here in the first three verses that there's a competition. Ladies, it's sometimes a competition when you're around other ladies who are all competing for the attention of the men in the room? Not anymore. Thank you, Rhonda. That's a good answer, sweetheart. 
But young ladies, when you're in a when you're in a uh, a public place, uh, a place of uh, you know a party or wherever, there is whether it's intended or not intended, is there not also a sense of competition between each other? I've heard that. I'm not a woman. I've been told that. Young ladies, don't they compete sometimes? Does not wisdom call, does not understanding raise her voice? That's what verse 1 is talking about. Wisdom that is worthy of following is trying to be heard above the clamor and the noise of the culture of everything else that is out there competing for our attention. The voice of God is wanting to be heard over those things that we would rather listen to instead of God. Verse 2, on the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Now in verse 2, this is the idea here of the crossroads. We all come to a a crossroads in our lives all the time. How many times have you come to a point where you have a discernment to make? You have a choice between two or more ways to go, and you're struggling. Dear God, which path is yours? Sometimes it's not so clear. Amen. So wisdom... In verse 2, is standing at the crossroads. She's taking her stand against all of the competition. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. And so she's standing there in public places trying to be heard. Now what is Solomon telling us here? Solomon is trying to guide us through the value of wisdom. Not just any wisdom, trying to guide us through the value of God's wisdom. We've already seen here that Jesus equals wisdom. Chapters 4 through 7 seem to be that fatherly advice to avoid these things, avoid folly, avoid the worldly wisdom. And, and now in chapter 8, he's, and, and Solomon is telling us the righteous wisdom, which is not folly, is crying for your attention. Now think of this. We know that in the New Testament, Jesus is considered the wisdom of God. And I think that is what is being alluded to here in in Proverbs. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus himself, when he's speaking about the sign of Jonah, in verse 41 of Matthew chapter 12, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment and with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. What is Jesus speaking? Especially in the book of Proverbs, we know that Solomon is the author of the Proverbs. And we also know when we look in in the history of Solomon and his reign as king, there were all of the kingdoms of the world saw the wisdom of Solomon and they were attracted to Solomon and they would come to Israel seeking to meet this great, wise king. We know here that Jesus, in verse 42 of Matthew chapter 12, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. But Jesus is declaring here something greater than Solomon is here. He's alluding that he is the wisdom 
that all humanity throughout all of human history, all of the kings of all the nations of all human history have been desiring the greatest treasure that they could possess, and that is the wisdom. That's why they were attracted to Solomon, because God gave Solomon his wisdom. And Jesus is saying, as great as Solomon was, (laughs) there's something greater standing in front of you. See, wisdom, what is wisdom? Wisdom unpacks what life is like under God's sovereignty. You see, here's the thing. We have to make sure that as Christians we don't forget this biblical truth here. When we come to faith in Christ, that does not mean we check our brains at the door. Can we say amen? We are told not to think too much about our faith. We are to just follow blindly. Now that's dangerous because I see here in this text and throughout all of Scripture that God expects us to be wise people. And the wisdom that we follow is not our own wisdom because that leads to folly and destruction. Instead, we follow the wisdom of God. Again, what is wisdom? Wisdom is this practical knowledge of how to live. You see, wisdom unpacks what life is like under God's sovereignty. What does it mean to live as, a Christ, as Christians? What does it mean to live as godly people? Number one, as Christians, we submit to the sovereignty rule of Jesus Christ himself and ultimately to God the Father who is the King of all kings. How do we live that way? Do we just blindly say, dear God, wake up every morning and say, dear God, just lead me so I don't know what I'm doing and just... Take, how many of y'all put a blindfold on and take a step out the front door every morning? That'd be stupid. Be foolish, wouldn't it? God, God here does, through His Word, he, he helps us focus on the particulars here. You see, there is this... When we come to wisdom, there's two aspects of wisdom. There is the universal, which is all-encompassing and everywhere... And then there's the aspect of wisdom that is the particular. That's the everyday aspects of waking up and being who we are and doing what we have to do. Wisdom focuses on the particulars, particularly the daily choices we face, the daily decisions that we must make. Do I get out of bed and get to work on time? Do I get out of bed and go to school on time? Did you all see that in the news this week, that there was a young uh, 18-year-old Uh, who was on jury duty. I think this was out in Texas, if I'm not mistaken. An 18-year-old was called to jury duty. After the first day, you know, he's called to jury duty, he is set, the second day comes around, and he does not show up. He overslept. When you're on jury duty, that don't work. I think he just got, uh, it was some jail time and some probation. Was it 10 days of jail? Yeah. I wanted to say 10, but I didn't want to say 10 years. It was 10 days of jail time plus probation. That was a a very hard life lesson. But we face these things all the time, don't we? Whether it be an 18-year-old figuring out how do I figure out this adulting thing about getting up and being responsible, or we as parents who try to figure out how in the world do I get these children to do what they need to do. They're too rambunctious. No, 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 no to being grandparents and figuring out life and work and being Christians in a church? 
It's one thing to be a church, it's another thing to figure out how to operate church. There are particulars of being a church that somebody has to figure out. And godly wisdom helps us do this. See, living under God's sovereignty is not this abstract, high-in-the-sky, transcendent way of living. Living under God's sovereignty requires particular participation and living. Say, it's one thing to be pious. You know what it means to be pious? The idea of piety is that which is the highest form of religious devotion. It's one thing to be pious. It's another thing uh, to be higher than, to live in the ivory tower of religious thought. But that separates us from real living. Now, this is a danger that uh, me being a graduate of a seminary, I understand this. When you go to these high seminaries, the, the young 20-year-olds come out of seminary ready to take on the world, and they're up here somewhere in their intellectual pursuits, and then they can't talk to the people. Living under God's sovereignty plays itself out in the concrete circumstances of everyday living. Somehow we must take this transcendent reality of God's sovereignty and His goodness and His holiness and His purity and figure out, what does it mean here? That takes a lifetime of figuring. Now, that doesn't mean that we discard the high sovereign truth of God's being. There is, there's, a, there's a mix here. Unfortunately, what I see is too often, in order to live in the practical now, the high transcendent truth that does transcend us is ignored. We don't do that either. God is transcendent, but yet he's still right here with us at the same time. God is within arm's reach. He's always right near. You see, God's rule over the world does not always make sense. Can we make an amen on that one? Dear God, why do the evil people seem to have it all? And then the righteous people suffer. It doesn't make sense. And so God's rule over this world requires... His wisdom to teach us patience, to teach us perseverance, to teach us discernment. This is what is happening here in the first four verses, the first three verses of Proverbs chapter 8. Wisdom is crying out for attention in a world that is chaotic and confusing. Verse 4 of Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom continues, To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. How many of us have cried that out to people? (laughs) We know the answers, but nobody's listening. Wisdom here is crying out. Now in verse 6, we see the focus of today's sermon. I think in in verses 1 through 11, verses 6 and 7 are really the, the meat here. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. Wisdom, godly wisdom, speaks noble things. Now this idea of nobility is a very key aspect of wisdom. First of all, what is, what is the noble? The idea of the noble is something that implies dignity. 
When we think of those who are of the nobility, these are people who are dignified, who, are, who seem to have it all together, who, ha- who somehow are living at a place that we all admire. That which is noble brings dignity, not only to the self, but to the mind. Dignity of being. That which is noble is dignified. That which is noble is also that which is great. Do we know folks that we admire and that we applaud as being great people? That there's something about them that there's greatness in their very being. That's the idea of nobility. Verse 6 here of Proverbs chapter 8, Wisdom is crying out, Here, for I will speak noble things. I will speak things of dignity. I will speak things of greatness. Now this is God's wisdom speaking to us. This would be Christ himself really, literally speaking through Solomon. Here, for I will speak noble things. And from my lips will come what is right. Is Jesus not the greatest noble human being ever to exist. Is Christ himself, the words and the teachings of Christ, are they not the most noble, dignified things that we could ever hope to understand? Yet somehow Christ, even though he was noble and he spoke greatness, there is something in what Christ did that the most common of the common people were attracted to. Wisdom speaks noble things. And from my lips will come what is right. The idea of noble here literally means to know. To know what is primarily the best. To know what is dignified. To know what is great. And I think the greatest way to understand nobility is that that which is noble has been refined. Wisdom is that which refines the soul. How many of us realize that our souls are in need of a little polishing? (laughs) Amen? The first step to wisdom is acknowledging through humility our state before a holy, righteous, sovereign God. We 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 have no right to be in His presence, yet somehow the nobility of God Almighty is welcoming us into his presence. More so God who is noble and great and all-purposeful and almighty and all-knowing, he brings his presence to us. That's the joy here. As wisdom in Proverbs chapter 8 is crying to be heard loudly because the things that are being spoken, the things that should be heard, are those things that are noble. They are primary. They are the things that we should know. Yet somehow we can't hear it because we're too busy. We're too cluttered. In verse 6 of Proverbs 8, And from my lips, this is wisdom speaking, And from my lips will come what is right. Verse 7, From my mouth will utter truth. Is that not the the core idea? The, The one question that if all humanity could find it, they would feel satisfied. What is truth? And the contrast here in verses 6 and 7 about truth and righteousness is that we can see clearly in our our current culture, we are in a a culture of, of relativism, the idea that everybody's truth is true. If you declare it and you feel it, then who are we to question it? 
is really the attitude of the day. It's nothing new. It's been around for a long time in human history. And as a philosophy professor with my students, I have learned the best answer, and this comes from all the great thinkers who wrestle with this. It's real simple. If anyone tries to challenge you about your Christian faith, and they tell you this, well, you know, that Christian faith, that's okay for you, but, you know, my truth is my truth, and, and you just stay where you're at. It's okay. Really what they're saying is they don't want to hear it, but here's your answer. Here's your question. If everybody's truth is right, you could infer then, if that's the case, is anyone ever wrong? It's a simple question. If everybody's truth is right... Can anyone ever be wrong? Well, logically, of course we can be wrong. But if, if somebody claims that everybody's truth is right and then turns around and says, well, you're wrong, they have now just contradicted their perspective. You see the problem there? And that's what godly wisdom here in Proverbs chapter 8 is trying to get across. There's too much chaos and too many, too many voices out there to be heard, yet there's only one truth that is rightfully true. There's only one truth that is primarily noble and primarily great and worthy of, of listening to and following. And wisdom cries, I am here. You see, righteousness here, this idea of nobility, nobility leads to this righteousness. And nobility is this primary best thing that you could, the primary greatness, that which is higher than all things that are good, the goodness of the good, the primary righteousness. Verse 8, all the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Is righteousness not the primary attribute of God himself? Is God himself all that is righteous? So this idea of that which is right, that which is straight, that which is clear and true and perfect and noble. In verse 8, all the words of my mouth are righteous. I mean, I, I can clearly see Christ himself. This is really what he speaks in all of his Gospels. In all of Jesus' ministry, he was trying to get those of, of the Jewish nation and even, even the Gentiles who heard him, even though he was not there, called to the Gentiles, yet they were still attracted to him. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. You see, any kind of wisdom that we perceive as that which we want to follow, any kind of discernment that we, that we follow and try to lead, that leads to confusion and failure, clearly is not righteous. And so God here speaking through Solomon in Proverbs chapter 8 is saying, all the words of my mouth are righteous. They will not lead you astray. There's nothing twisted or crooked in them. God himself is not crooked. He is not twisted. He is on, he is the path. What does Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's nothing twisted or confusing in that. Righteousness being the primary attribute of God himself is that which we crave, that which we desire. We wish to be more God-like. We wish to be more Christ-like. And following God's wisdom Listening to his words, listening to his righteousness will lead us down a path of the same. And in so, 
our souls become more refined. How do we refine our souls? How do we polish up the rough edges? According to the book of Proverbs, it is through following wisdom. Not, not the wisdom that is adulterous and, and leads to folly, but the wisdom that leads to righteousness, godly wisdom. And in verse 9, we see that not everyone actually sees the straightness and the goodness of, the, of godly wisdom. Verse 9, only those see it as straight. They are all straight to him who understands. The only people who see the, the, the goodness and the nobility of godly wisdom are those who understand. And only those, and it's right to those who find knowledge. So if, if we find the wisdom of God, then and only then do we see and understand how straight and righteous and good His wisdom is. You see, the world who does not want anything to do with God will just see godly wisdom as just another, another worldview in a plethora, a plurality of worldviews throughout all of human history. It's just another one. Yet those who adhere to Christ's call of salvation, those who desire to refine their souls as God does it, see, we can't refine our soul. You see, only God himself through his son, Jesus Christ, Jesus is the one who washes us clean. Jesus is the one who makes us straight, who makes us right. And when that happens, when God himself makes us new, they are all straight to him who understands. Turn with me again to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul addresses this issue. In verse 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this was our call to worship today. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? He has. Amen. For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Now notice here in verse 22, and let me just kind of help us understand what Paul is writing here. He's saying that the preaching of the gospel is a stumbling block and it is seen as foolish to those who do not follow, who do not want to hear. But it does not mean that wisdom is tossed out. It means that we follow the right wisdom. Not the wisdom of man, not the wisdom of, of human philosophy and human science. We follow the wisdom of God. Who then makes that which is philosophical and that which is scientific understandable and right. If we toss out philosophy and we toss out scientific thinking, we would all go back to a primitive way of living. And I don't think many of us want to do that. I don't know about you, but I like the science of corrective vision. Without my contact lenses in, I wouldn't be able to see you. And without these, I wouldn't be able to read here. I am thankful for the science that can correct my bad eyesight. Otherwise, 
I would be living in an age where I would be in poverty and starving because I couldn't see. Thankful for air conditioning. Are y'all happy for air conditioning? I mean, those who say we need to get rid of uh, all of mankind's advancements because we're destroying things are actually pretty foolish because when you talk to them, oh, wait a minute, I like my air conditioning. Oh, I, I like my car. Oh, I like my internet. Now, wait a minute, you just said all that was foolish. Right? So we have to use godly wisdom. God gives us the ability to think and reason as being made in His image. And what we're seeing here in God's Word here is God has given us wisdom to be righteous, and the things that we create, we are creating because God has given us the ability to create, and it requires God's wisdom in order to practically know how to use it. Not for destruction, not for our own selfish gain. Look here in verse 24 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus here, verse 24, is the power of God and Jesus is the wisdom of God. Now we continue down. Let's drop down to verse 28. Paul tells us that God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. See, the problem is whenever human wisdom boasts, I do this and I don't need God. That's the issue. When we boast as human beings, that's the pride of sin that God says, my wisdom is greater than yours. And because of Him you are in Christ Jesus Look at verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us, what? Wisdom from God. And what is wisdom from God? It is righteousness. What is wisdom from God? It is sanctification. What is wisdom from God? It is redemption. Wow. Isn't that great? So what is Solomon telling us here in Proverbs chapter 8? Those who are in wisdom, those who are in Christ, have the highest of treasures that kings have desired from the beginning of human history. If we have Christ, then we have the wisdom of God. Christ is wisdom. Christ is the highest, the greatest, the most noble of things that we could ever attain. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 6. For I will speak noble things. And from my lips will come what is right. And if that is the case, if we hear that, if we receive it, if we embrace it, if we embrace wisdom, if, if, if you want to use the language here in the, in the imagery that Solomon is using from chapters 4 up until chapter 8, if we marry the right woman, if we marry wisdom, then in verse 10, take my instruction Instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Wow. So here's the thing. What do we glean here from the Proverbs as Christians? Number one, I'm going to argue that reading these verses sounds like listening to Jesus speak. If you've never thought about the, word, or the book of Proverbs as Jesus speaking through the wisdom of Solomon, then I encourage you to think of it in that light. 
The next thing is that if we are discerning which path to follow, and there is an aspect of our discernment that is part of who we are, but God does call us. He doesn't call us as robots. He doesn't call us as puppets. He does call us through His Holy Spirit to salvation. We do not desire salvation on our own. There is something inside of us that is desiring God's presence and His very love. We don't do this on our own making. God is the one who puts that nature in us to desire Him. How we follow that desire is part of what God has given us the ability to think and reason for. Do we desire that of the world? Do we desire that of God? Because the very definition of sin is that we have rejected God and we have missed Him. That's why when we are born in sin, when we take on the nature of Adam and Eve, we have taken on the original sin of rebellion and, and self-pride. We are born into that. So what we have already been born into is rejection of God. We in our very nature, we, we reject Him in our nature because we have taken on Adam's sinful nature. It is the wisdom of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, Jesus as wisdom, that that is really what we're desiring. And it is the proclamation of the gospel in a world that is noisy and busy, that is trying to get the world to see what you think you want is really right over here. What the world really wants and what they're craving is this cross right here. And what it requires is God's people to stand at the crossroads, stand at the gate, and proclaim as loudly as they can over the noise of the world, this right here is the wisdom and the beauty that you're wanting. That's what God's called us to. And if people hear that, and they're honest with themselves, and they listen intently, then God and His Spirit will do the rest. He's the one who changes them. He's the one that makes them new. He's the one that when they hear the truth of the gospel, He pricks their ears and He says, You hear that? That's what you're wanting. And our call as people of God is to call out that wisdom and to point it out to a fallen and sinful world.